Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Thank you for choosing to join us today as we look to connect with the presence of God and allow Him to do His good work in us. He loves doing something new in each one of us. And just between you and me, I love it when He lets me in on exactly what He's doing. But whether He's working behind the scenes of your life or allowing you to get a glimpse of it, His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We have an incredible team of people who work tirelessly to help people grow. That's what we're all about, getting to know God better as we surrender more of our lives to Him and live out His love in relationship with each other. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. There's no need to pretend that you've got your act together. We don't. We have messy lives that we are allowing Jesus to bring wholeness and healing to. And we're working through our messes together. There's always room for someone new. Even if you haven't bought into this whole Jesus thing yet, or are skeptical about church or the Bible, wherever you are, we'd love to meet you there and walk with you as you figure it out. We're all on the journey, and wherever you are on your journey, welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now let's join our service. Welcome to week two of our series, Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. Uh, with the help of Andy Stanley and the Irresistible Church Network, we've got five weeks for people who are dating, uh, people who want to be dating at whatever age, because people of all ages date from high school to college to middle age and even up to the blue hair stage. Uh, whether you've never been married or find yourself back in the dating pool after something happened to your marriage, uh, this series is really for anybody who is serious about romance and long-term relationships, which also means that for those of you who are married, there's something here for you too. In fact, there's something for everybody, even for single people who have no interest in dating. Marriage isn't the be-all, end-all. In fact, if you believe what the Bible says, there can be a holiness to singleness that is an end unto itself. And for those of you called to that, respect. Now, one of the reasons I'm excited about this series is that I also get to talk about something that breaks my heart. As I told you last week, uh, it breaks my heart to see people I love and care about make decisions that undermine their relationships. They make decisions in the short run that do damage in the long run. We see this all the time in our culture, and sadly, the way our culture approaches relationships has found its way into the church. And it just breaks my heart because it invites pain into your life. There's enough unavoidable pain as it is. Why invite more into our lives? But that's exactly what happens. We take something that is already complicated and make it more complicated by making decisions that undermine the integrity of our personal relationships. We've all seen this. You've watched friends and family members make 
terrible relationship decisions that made you think, can you not see what you're about to do? Can you not tell that this is a bad idea? Maybe you've even been one of the ones making bad relationship decisions. And now you're living out the consequences yourself, and you wish that others could learn from your mistakes. This is really easy to see in other people, but virtually impossible to see in the mirror at the time. The the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote that the heart is deceitful above all things, And this is never more true than when someone is in love. Love is a justifier for lots of bad decisions. Part of the reason is that love and romance and lust and everything that goes with all of that just puts you in a fog, making it very challenging to see relational decisions, bad ones, in the mirror, which is why we're talking about it. Someone needs to be the friend who actually says what everyone else is thinking, and I drew the short straw. As we learned last week, most of this confusion about love and romance stems from two myths. Two myths that sit just below the surface of your conscious thought, operating in the background unbeknownst to you. And when you bring them out of the dark and into the light, you know they can't possibly be true. But in the dark, they do lots of damage. In the dark, they fuel our assumptions and drive our relationship decisions. Bad decisions come from bad assumptions. And these two myths fit that description perfectly. The first one is the right person myth. The right person myth is not that there isn't a right person for you. The right person myth is that once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. As something that made all the married people chuckle a little last week. The myth goes something like this, that regardless of what you do between now and the time you meet the right person, once you meet the right person, all of that goes away and everything's going to be just fine. Once you find them, everything will be all right, including you. Finding Mr. or Miss Right means that all of those bad habits will go away. All of that insecurity will go away. The loneliness will go away. Magically, you will become a lady or a gentleman. You'll be a different person. And the reason you aren't that person right now is that you haven't found the right person. But you find the right person and then you'll be a better person. And everything will be all right in your life. But let's be honest here. You don't magically change. You're still the same girl or guy you used to be. You carry all of yourself into the relationship, which many times is what ruins it, which is why this whole idea is a myth. And yet, you can see how it fuels our fantasies. You know what I mean, right? Uh, What do we fantasize about? What do we dream for? We fantasize about finding the right person. Nobody ever stares at the ceiling at night fantasizing about being the right person, just finding the right person. And as soon as I find them, I'm going to be happy. As soon as I meet them, everything is going to be all right. I'll be better. You're adults. You know that's a myth. The question I asked you last week is, are you becoming the person that your person is looking for? Are you becoming the person that the person you married was hoping for? Leading us to the second myth, 
the promise myth. The promise myth is that a promise replaces preparation. A promise replaces preparation. It replaces the need for preparation. You don't need to prepare for a relationship. You can simply promise your way into it. That's all you need. A promise and a party. A vow, a ring, and a party. You can promise your way to relationship maturity. Promise yourself into great relational habits. But there's no substitution for preparation. We know this in every other arena of life. And we know, it in, we, we know it in academia. We know it at work. We know it in sports. Successful athletes live by the preparation method of life, not the promise method of life. They don't promise to win. They prepare to win. And the same is true relationally. Whether you are already in marriage, looking to get married, or dating, to win relationally, you have to prepare. Uh, remember, saying I do doesn't make you capable. It only makes you accountable. And when you are accountable but not capable, you are eventually miserable. That's why I advocate for following Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't just make your life better. It makes you better at life. He always leads you in the direction of relational integrity because Jesus is all about relationships. Because he's experienced the best in relationships and he wants that for us. Before time began, he was in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The three of them, one and yet distinct, in perfect relationship. And then we were made in that image, the image of God, making us also innately created for relationship. Following Jesus will up your relationship game. It will prepare you for relationships, not just so you'll be happy in those relationships, but so that you'll be more like Jesus. That's our goal. We want to believe like Jesus, think like Jesus, and act like Jesus more and more and more. And here's the thing. Listen to me carefully so that you don't misunderstand me here. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus' invitation is not to pray to me. It's not to promise to me. It's not to negotiate with me. His invitation is to follow me. Follow me and you'll become. The journey will be demanding to be sure, but the journey will also be memorable and incredibly rewarding because what you become when you follow Jesus has the potential to change everything relationally. We become by following Jesus through one simple command. It's really quite simple, though we have complicated it along the way. People in positions like mine through the ages have complicated it unnecessarily. It isn't supposed to be complicated. As we learned last week in the last few minutes with his closest followers, in this if you forget everything else, just remember this one thing moment, everything else I've said hangs on this one thing. Don't miss this. Love each other. Love each other other, but not the way you've been loved by others, not the way you hear about love, not the way you imagine love, not the way our culture loves, 
but love each other as I have loved you, which is another kind of love. Bringing this up to where we left off last week. So today, as I promised, we're going to flesh out exactly what Jesus meant. We're going to talk about the fine print because there is always fine print. But this isn't the gotcha kind of fine print. This is the kind of fine print that will make you fine. It will make you worth finding. It will make you worth keeping. Uh, These are the things that we are going to have to get good at. These should become the most important tools in our toolkit for life. We need to be able to wield them like master craftsmen and women. And dating is perhaps actually practice. So while everybody else is going to try to become better in bed, you're going to become a better person. As a side note, romance is actually fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Romance is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Sex does not make a relationship. Sex makes babies. Every time they do a survey about sex, they discover that happily married people ultimately have more happily married sex. When a, relation, when a better relationship is the focus, better sex follows, not the other way around. Okay, back to the fine print. It's the Apostle Paul who brings us this fine print. Uh, for those of you who have never heard of him or have heard of him but don't know anything about him, the Apostle Paul followed, began to follow Jesus after Jesus returned to heaven. You can read about his story in the book of Acts in the Bible. After a fantastic Zoom meeting with Jesus, the one that changed his life forever, he began to live by this one rule, this one command of Jesus. Before Jesus, his life was complicated by more than 600 rules. But once he followed Jesus, his life became much simpler as he began to live by this one rule, love each other as I have loved you. Now, because he was a Jew, like Jesus, he understood the nuance of what Jesus meant in this command. But his job was to take the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish, or what we call the Gentile world. And as he did, he realized that there was a a bit of a translation problem, a, a culture challenge, if you will. And so he teased it out so that they could understand what Jesus meant when he said, love each other as I have loved you. If you are somebody who reads the Bible, you probably already know that some of what Paul said made its way into the New Testament in the form of letters uh, sent to churches that Paul was a part of establishing around the Mediterranean rim. Uh, The New Testament begins with four documents that we collectively call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, They tell the story of Jesus up to and just after his death and resurrection. Luke also gave us a document we call Acts, which which tells the story of the early first century church. After that, we have letters, letters and documents that Paul wrote to these churches, letters that Peter wrote, James wrote, Jude wrote, and one by an unknown author called Hebrews. But the lion's share were written by Paul. 
And when you read Paul's letters, uh, he uses a lot of what are called imperatives in the grammar world. He says, here's what you should do, and here's what you should do, and here's what you should do. If you aren't paying attention, it seems like he's giving new commands, more commands, adding to Jesus one command, but that's not the case. He is simply giving us the application of Jesus one command to different circumstances. That's why before these imperatives and after these imperatives, he ties everything to being in Christ or about Christ or the resurrection or just as Christ loved us, just as God and Christ loved us. He's not giving us new commands. He's just unpacking what this Jesus kind of love looks like in the real world. He's basically defining love for us, not our kind of love, but the kind of love that Jesus meant what love looks like when you love as Jesus loved. He does this throughout all of his letters to the church, but we find the most in-your-face explanations in, this first, in his first letter to the church in Corinth. You've probably heard some of these verses, even if you aren't a Christ follower, because they are often read at weddings, like a, a poem. But as we're going to see, they are so much more than just a nice little poem. So this is, this is what he says. This isn't a to-do list. This is just practical application of what Jesus was talking about. The kind of love that God demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ looks like this, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Love is patient. Patient. Love is not pushy. Pushy people are not loving people. If someone is pushing you, they aren't loving you. Love actually pushes me to give you room because you don't want to be pushed. You don't want to be rushed. Love chooses, because it is always a choice, to move at the pace of the other person. Love doesn't pressure or expect the other person to match our pace. Love is a decision to pause rather than push, which isn't natural, is it? Our pace, my pace, your pace seems natural. That's why you think everybody else should run and live and do life, should drive at your pace, because it just seems natural. And you, you wonder what's wrong with everybody else. Love doesn't expect everybody else, anybody else, to keep pace with me. Love says, I'm going to discover your pace and then speed up or slow down to keep pace with you. Love defers because it's what God did for you and me. God didn't force his pace on us. He did something far more extraordinary. He accommodated. That's the best way to understand the Old and New Testament. God accommodates to our capacity. Like a good father, God leans down and speaks our language, a language we can understand, and he goes at our pace. If he didn't, if he just went at his own pace, which is the speed of light, we wouldn't know anything about God. God accommodates 
to our capacity. And he says, here's what I want you to do, dads, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, friend friends. I want you to get in the habit to practice accommodating, accommodate to other people's capacity. Compared to mine, Dee Dee has short little legs. If I want to walk with her, I have to accommodate to her capacity. Otherwise, she is 10 feet behind me, then 15, 20, 30 feet behind me with anything but a smile on her face. Love accommodates. Love moves in, leans in their direction. God moves at our pace. We're to do the same for others. If we want our relationships to stand the test of time, we have to practice using our patience muscle, which is only done by practicing patience in your current relationship. Love is patient. Stop being pushy. Just stop it. Be willing to move at the pace of the people you love. Okay, this next one, say this next one with me. Love is kind. Love is kind. Now, kindless sounds soft. It sounds kind of weak. But man especially, nothing could be farther from the truth. Kindness is an expression of strength. Unkindness is weakness. Unkindness means you can't control yourself. You can't bridle yourself. You can't tame your tongue. Unkindness is weakness. It indicates that you can't control you. Here's what kindness actually is. Kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is, I'm going to lean in your direction and I'm not going to remind you, oh, you did that again, or you always do that. Kindness is not constantly reminding someone of their weakness, their failure. Kindness is loaning them your strength. It's doing for others what they cannot in the moment do for themselves. That's what God did for you. Kindness is love's response to weakness. And Paul said it this way, while you were still a sinner, God didn't put his hands on his hips and say, you did what again? Call me when you've worked it out. But while you were still a sinner, while knowing the totality of your life, every part of him you want to, him to see and every part you don't want him to see, your promise is kept, your promise is broken, the commitments you got right and the ones you got wrong. Knowing all of that, Christ died for you and he loaned you his strength in the midst of your weakness. That's what we celebrate as Christians. Love does that for other people. It loans them your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. Think about this for a moment. Here's my question. What is your go-to response to the weakness in other people? If you are dating someone, you need to pay attention to this. If you are dating someone, watch their go-to response to weakness in others. Because when the honeymoon wears off, and it always does, that will be their go-to response to weakness in you. If they unload on the waitress because their meal isn't up to snuff, they'll eventually un unload on you. People who use kindness as a means to an end are always mean in the end. 
So what's your go-to response? Next up is a toxic trio. And Paul says that love is not, not just any kind of love, but the kind of love Jesus is talking about, uh, the kind we're supposed to demonstrate to others. Love is not jealous. It is not boastful and it is never proud. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And love is not proud. Love allows the other person to shine. Love is willing to step out of the spotlight even when they have reason to step into the spotlight. Love is not threatened by other people's success. Love is able to celebrate other people's success without adding their own story, without reminding everybody else of your success. Love is able to step out of the spotlight and purely celebrate the accomplishments of another person. Love doesn't one-up what just happened for someone else. And here's something that is true. Uh, this is where it might get hard. If you don't feel good about yourself, it's hard to let others feel good about themselves, right? Misery loves company, and we, we have this thing in us that likes to pull people down to our level. There's just something in you that has a hard time allowing someone else to stay in the spotlight without trying to steal a little for yourself, without reminding everyone of how fantastic you are, or even worse, by minimizing someone else's accomplishments as you bring them down to your level. If that describes you, there's something you need to work on in you. It, it gets in the way of your ability to love like Jesus. Jesus modeled this for us. Also in the words of Paul in his letter to the Philippian church, he says that Jesus was in very nature God, but he did not allow his equality with God to move him to grasp at his equality with God. Uh, verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's Paul's fancy way of saying that even when Jesus came to earth and he was still God in a bod, he didn't consider his equality with God as something to be taken hold of. He never played the God card. He didn't show up at the restaurant and have them move. Uh, Jesus is here. He deserves the corner table. He never used who he was to get his own way. And if Jesus was willing to stay out of the spotlight when he deserved it, you should be willing to forego your own privilege sometimes. Forego the credit that you deserve so that you can highlight what someone else has done. Do you do that? Or is there just something inside you that has to throw your hat into the ring? When your husband or your wife or your kid or your coworker or friend is getting credit, is there something in you that just has to throw out some kind of barb, some kind of negative comment to bring them down? That will undermine your ability to love those around you. So pay close attention to what happens inside you, to your internal reaction to the successes of the people closest to you. Husbands, how easy is it for you to brag on your wife publicly or when other people are bragging on her to add to it instead of subtracting from it? Women, how easy is it for you to brag on your husband publicly or when others are to add to it instead of subtracting from it? <laughs> Dee Dee's great at this, by the way. 
But if there's something in you that's like, oh, I don't want him to get a big hit or think that he does, that everything he does is good. Hey, that's really none of your business. Life has a way of taking the big head out of most people. In fact, our own internal voices have a pretty good way of bringing us down without the help of others. Circumstances have a way of bringing us down, not even just to size, but to below size. If it is difficult for you to celebrate the successes of other people, there is something wrong in you that you need to work on. It isn't just a personal character issue. It's getting in the way of you loving like Jesus. Learn to exercise that muscle. Okay, we've made it to verse 5. Love is not jealous, not boastful, not proud, or rude. The New International Version unpacks that just a little more. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not behave disgracefully, dishonorably, or indecently. Love doesn't re create regret. Men, do you know how unique you would be in our culture if you decided that you would never dishonor another woman for the rest of your life? I will not dishonor a woman with my words. I will not dishonor a woman with my look. I will not dishonor a woman with my response. I will not dishonor a woman behind her back with my friends for the rest of my life. I'm going to honor women the way that Jesus honored me. I will not be another woman's regret. Or for women, another man's regret. Do you know how unique you would be? But even more than that, do you understand how much more like Christ that would make you? Honor is at the heart of every satisfying relationship. And probably because he knew that we need, we'd need more information. Paul defines it even more. Love does not dishonor others by demanding its own way. Love is not self-seeking. Love puts the interests and needs of others first. You know, that would actually solve 90% of relationship problems. Think about that. 90% of your relationship issues would just go away if you could put the interests and needs of others first. <laughs> Here's why. In most relationship problems, there is a theme. In most arguments, there is a theme. Two people arguing want the same thing, right? They want their way. That's what you both have in common. You both want your way. Imagine what would happen if in the middle of an argument with your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, you just said, hey, time out. I know what the problem is here. I'm not getting what I want. And if they had any sense of understanding, they'd say, I'm not getting what I want either. That's really the problem. Now you can work your way through something. It requires a commitment to not be selfish, to put another's needs before your own. By the way, if you are dating, this is the quickest way to figure out how self-seeking the other person is. If you practice this, you'll see a pattern. If you give, give, and give, and they take, take, and take, you'll know it's time to run, run, run. Love values others above yourself. Not because they are more valuable, they, they aren't, but you treat them that way because that's what God and Christ did and do for you. 
When Jesus went to the cross, what did he say? What did that say about you and me? If a person is willing to lay down his life for you, whether or not their life is actually more valuable than yours isn't the issue. But the fact that they would place themselves under you, submit themselves for you, take on your burden for you, that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled for us. That's what honor looks like. What it looks like to value someone as if they were more important or greater than yourself. And we all know how to do this. We just don't do it. Imagine you had the opportunity to have dinner with your favorite actor or actress or recording star or person from history. Dinner, just the two of you or maybe with a couple of friends. Think about how you would prepare for that dinner, how you would behave. You'd bring the best version of yourself to that dinner. And if they arrived late, you'd say, look, dude, I got places to go and people to see. You're wasting my time, right? Of course not. It would be, hey, Denzel, may I call you that? Mr. Washington, it's no problem. Thanks for being here at all. It's just an honor to have an opportunity with them. That's what it means to treat someone as more valuable than yourself, to honor someone. And we all know how to do it. That's what Jesus did for you. And now go love each other as I have loved you. Let me put this another way, and please be mature, be a mature adult as I say this. Don't take this the wrong way. Take it as I mean it. But don't stay in a relationship where you are constantly and consistently dishonored. If you are dating someone and you are consistently dishonored, break up today. In fact, get out your phone and break up right now. Generally, I'm against breaking up by text, but in this case, just go ahead and then hand your phone to the person next to you and change your number. If you are in a relationship where you are consistently dishonored, you will eventually come to the conclusion that you are a dishonorable person. And once you conclude that you are a dishonorable person, you'll behave dishonorably. It's a vicious cycle. Get out because you are inherently honorable. Here's how I know that, even if I haven't met you. The value of something is determined by the price it will bring. It's a simple economics principle. The value of something is determined by the price it will bring. And you were bought with a price. God sent his son into this world to pay a price for you. You aren't even your own. You are extraordinarily valuable because of who you belong to. Now, if you are married, it's more complicated. I'm not advocating for divorce. Don't use this as an excuse to get out of a relationship that you need to stay in. You're just not willing to do the work. But even in the context of marriage, if you are in an environment where you are consistently dishonored, it's not healthy. Get help. Okay, let me bottom line this before we go on. In other words, it's not going to be tit for tat. It's not going to be back and forth. It's not going to be to match their anger. I'm not going to match their selfishness. I'm not going to demand my own way. Instead, I'm going to be a Jesus follower. And if they take advantage of my selflessness and my generosity, then they aren't the one for me. On the other hand, if you choose to be not self-seeking and more selfless and they respond in kind, you might have found your person. Love is not self-seeking. 
and we are all naturally self-seeking. Jesus says, that's why I want you to follow me. Not your appetites, not your lust, not your impulses, not the way your dad was or your mom was or the way your friends are. I just want you to follow me. And just like I gave my life for you, I want you to look for ways to give your life away to the people around you. When two people approach their relationship that way, something happens. Now, Paul goes on to say that love is not easily angered. If you can, circle or highlight the word easily, because everybody gets angry at some point. Anger is a valid emotion. It's impossible to completely avoid anger. But if you're going to love like Jesus, you're not going to be easily angered. In Greek, the term is a cooking term. It means stirred up. Have you ever been so stirred up that you wanted to scream? When you love like Jesus, you are not easily stirred up. Love doesn't get ticked off easily. It doesn't get wound up. Love can listen. Sometimes love absorbs. It just takes it in and doesn't reflect it back. It doesn't pretend like it's not true. It just absorbs. Love doesn't react. Love puts the other person's story ahead of their own story. Because isn't it true that when someone is angry or someone is beginning to say things that are making you angry, stirring you up, isn't it true that the conflict is around story? This is my story. It's the way I see it. It's what I experienced. It's what I heard. It's all about story. And you know what? Love realizes that we all have different stories about the same events. We all have different biases and filters that color our perspective about the same set of events. So I'm going to put your version of the events ahead of my own. Because love remembers that everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Everyone is logical to their own understanding, even if it doesn't make sense to you. So love listens and absorbs and prioritizes the other person's story because love isn't easily angered. And some of us really need to practice absorbing and understanding and listening. But when you're dating, you think the right person won't make me angry. I mean, the reason I'm angry is that this person isn't the right person. She's not right for me. He's not right for me. I need to find somebody who won't make me angry. Because when I find the right person, there's the myth again, I'm not going to have to practice not being easily angered because the right person won't ever make me angry, which is true. No one has the power to make you angry. They just bring the anger out of you. And to follow Jesus is to learn to deal with what's in you before it comes out of you, to absorb and deflect rather than reflect back in kind. Okay, Paul continues, love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love doesn't have a file drawer. You know the one. Well, let me see. Oh, yes. I can see that on October 3rd at 7 p.m., you did the same thing. We've already talked about this. Now I have to put something else in the file. Love doesn't do that. Have you ever noticed this? It's kind of funny. 
but relational record keepers rarely keep track of their own records. Have you ever noticed? They've got all sorts of records on your wrongdoings and failures, but they can't remember anything they've ever done wrong. In fact, the more they can remember about your faults, the less they remember about their own. Be honest. Do you enjoy catching your fiance or your girlfriend or your spouse messing up? Is there something in you that, it, that it's going to bring it up? Gently, but it's still going to be brought up. Any sense of aha in you? That's messed up. Stop it. Stop it. Because God the Father who sent us and Jesus to deal with our sin has a file cabinet a mile long on you. He never opens it. He hasn't forgotten. He just never brings it up. Do that for other people. Of course that's hard. All of this is hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would live this way. But when you follow Jesus, it's just better. It will make you better at life. As Andy Stanley says, over time, you'll fall into the rhythm of a brand new way of thinking about life and love. Think about it this way. In any relationship, you can be exactly right and still end up exactly alone. You can be 100% right 100% of the time and no one will want to live with you. And it won't because, be because you're wrong, but because you were always right and you wouldn't shut that stupid cabinet and leave it shut. You, you just kept bringing up the past. Jesus wants you to forgive and then live as if you've forgotten because that's what he did for you. But we like the power play. That's what it is. When someone holds the past over your head, who is in the elevated position? Love does not power up. Love always steps down. That's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself nothing. He stepped down. Now follow me. Follow me into your marriage. Follow me into that relationship. Follow me as a parent, as a friend, as an employee. Take this upside down approach to life into every relationship you're in. And then Paul wraps it up. Here's the finale. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And then Paul gives us a list. Love never gives up. I prefer what the New International Version says. They translate this as always protects. Love always protects. Always protects means that it keeps bad things out. Love always looks for ways to keep bad things out of the relationship, which means if you are smuggling bad things into a marriage or another relationship, if you are smuggling bad habits into your marriage, then you aren't protecting that relationship. If you are smuggling something bad in, you aren't loving like Jesus. You aren't doing what's good for the other person. You don't want to be that person. <laughs> Protect the relationship. Don't look for ways to smuggle things in. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It 
always protects. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. It perseveres. Love is always a choice, and love chooses to see the best, chooses to hope for the best, chooses to believe the best, and overlooks the rest. Love enjoys catching people doing good things and right things. It always hopes, always believes, always perseveres. Love chooses a generous explanation for the gaps. It doesn't fill in the gap with crap. It fills it in with hope and faith. Now put this all together and you have the fine print. And as you look at that list, you like me, I probably get a C most of the time. On a good day, maybe a B minus. On a bad day, well, let's not even go there. And now you're thinking, Chris, no one can do that all of the time. If that's an A, then I'll never make the grade. I'll never be that for anyone. We're going to keep talking this out in the next few weeks. I, I get it. <laughs> but here's what I want you to think about. Isn't that what you're looking for? If you're married, isn't that what you're hoping for? Here, I know. Why don't, why don't I read this list again? And you can just cross off what you aren't looking for. Just scratch out the ones that are important. And then at lunch with your loved one, just let them know what they don't need to worry about anymore. <laughs> nah, I don't expect much patience. Since you're my right person, I shouldn't really need it. But yes to kindness. No jealousy. No, not arrogant. Definitely selfless. I, I need you to be selfless. <laughs> yeah, don't be a scorekeeper. Yes, protect, and please trust me, I want all of those, but I don't know if I can be all of them for you. That's the beauty of following Jesus. He says, follow me. And if you ever wonder where we're headed, this is it. This is what it looks like. I want to complete in you what I began in you. My guess is that the person you're looking for wouldn't strike anything off this list just like you wouldn't take anything off the list. And we all know that if you are married, this is the list that will make you the person that your person was hoping for. Here's how Paul brings this home. It's, it's a powerful conclusion to the fine print. Maybe you've heard the words before, but didn't realize that they were attached to this list of fine print. But he makes it personal. He says, look, I know that's a lot. I know it seems unrealistic, like you'll never get there, but here's what I want you to consider. And then he starts talking about himself in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. When I was a little boy, I talked like a little boy. I talked like a child and no one criticized me for talking like a child. When I was a little boy, I thought like a little boy, and no one criticized me for thinking like a little boy. After all, I was just a little boy. I was a child. But then I grew up. And when I grew up, I put the childish things behind me. That's his gentle way of saying, let's grow up. When I was a child, I thought about love and fantasized about love and reasoned about love the way a kid would. But now I'm an adult. And that's not how I think anymore. When I was a child, I would be the prince. I would find my princess and we would fall in love and live happily ever after. But that's just the beginning. It can't end there. It doesn't work that way. 
So come on, put the fairy tales behind us and grow up. Abandon the storybook approach to love. Abandon the storybook assumptions about love. Abandon the assumptions about love that our culture has ingrained into us. Are you willing to do that? Willing to do the difficult work of becoming the right person instead of finding the right person. Becoming the person that your person is hoping for. Next week, we move on from love to dates. There's a progression in love, dates, and heartbreaks. We're real subtle around here. And next week, we'll have Chris's rules for dating. This will be specific to those of you dating or dating again. Uh, We're going to look at some of what's being written about dating and said about dating, and then I'll give you five or six or seven, we'll see, rules for dating. So don't miss next week's. Those of you who are married will be able to just relax and enjoy the fact that you aren't dating. Or will you? Let's pray. Father, the, the truth of the matter is that regardless of where we are in life, whether we're dating or not, whether we're married or not, the truth is that you call all of us to love like Paul has described here. You call all of us to love this way. This fine print is applicable in every relationship of life. So help us to embrace that and become, to become the men and women that you are calling us to become. Our world would be so different if we could figure this out, if we could live this way, truly live this way, really love this way. Do whatever it takes in us, Father, to make it so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That's the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you're on, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.